Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we just ask for your blessing upon our time in the Word tonight. And Father, I just pray, Lord, you bless the kids. Lord, be with uh, Mr. Daniels, he's ministering to him, Lord. I just thank you for his servant's heart to come all the way out here, Lord, to minister to us, Father God, and just to teach our kids your Word through music. And Father, I just pray for us that are in here, Lord, just soften our hearts to receive from you what you want to minister to us, Lord. We just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word that it's for today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Title of today's, tonight's message is Walking in Holiness. And I just want to tell you that as I'm studying, there is so much in this chapter that you could teach it for a month, but we're not going to do that, okay? We're going to look at it all tonight, so we're going to go through it fairly quickly. But just to catch us up, as we're looking through, through Leviticus, if there's a one-word theme for Leviticus, the word would be holiness. Leviticus is all about being holy before God. We know when they came out, they were delivered out of bondage, and that's a typology of being delivered from our sin. And now in Leviticus, we see just a picture of holiness. Now, the first ten chapters, if you were here, we looked at the sacrificial system, all of which points to the fact that there must be shedding of blood for remission of sins. Then chapters 11 through 15, we saw the laws of purification. And then we got to chapters 16 and 17, and we looked at the atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement was also called what? Who remembers? Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is still one of the, high hol- the highest holy day in the, in the Jewish religious system. And it's a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we talked about the fact that they couldn't just offer the sacrifice any day or any place or by anyone, but it had to be offered in a specific way. It had to be offered by the, great, by the high priest. It had to be offered on the Day of Atonement. And he had to bring in the blood of the sacrifice. We know that the high priest's sons, remember that they went in early. Remember what happened? What happened to them? Nahum and Abihu, what happened to them? They got smoked. Why? Because they went in to the Holy of Holies on the wrong day, and it was the wrong person, and they went in with the wrong heart, and they did not have the shed blood of the sacrifice. Because only Jesus Christ could pay the price for us. So we saw the Day of Atonement, and we saw the atoning work of Christ upon the cross for us. But after the atonement, it doesn't end there. As Christians, we surely have been justified, which means we've been saved by grace, which means we're going to heaven because of the work on the cross. And as I say quite frequently on Sunday as we've been going through John, Jesus said, it is finished, which means the price has been paid. So praise God for that. But we've been justified, which, but that doesn't mean that, okay, we've been justified. It's just as if I've never sinned, so now I can just sit on a mountain somewhere and wait for the Lord to come back. Or now I can just live like the world because I've been justified. Well, after, after justification comes sanctification. And those of you who were here last week, we saw a pretty heavy text. And it was really about not being conformed to the world because they had left Egypt and they were heading into Canaan. And the Lord said, you've left Egypt and you need to leave Egypt behind. And now you're going into Canaan, and even though you're going to be in Canaan, the land of promise, you are not to be like the Canaanites. You're to be in the world, but not of the world. You're not to conform to their way of life, and you're not to bring the Egyptian way of life with you either. You're not to take the lifestyle you had before you got saved and just keep living it now that you're a new creation in Christ. And you're not to go into the world and just be like the world, like the Canaanites. And so he commanded them to walk in holiness. And last week he dealt primarily with laws of sexual immorality. Not to live like the Egyptians. Not to be conformed to their practices. And he talked to them specifically about some heavy duty stuff. And he, 
he tells them real quick, clearly, I am the Lord. We're going to see that 16 times in the chapter tonight. He's constantly reminding them that he's the authority, that he's the one that we follow. It's not what the world says. It's not the popular vote. It's not what you know, everybody else is doing. It's what does God say that matters. Nothing else matters but what God says. And he tells them that he is the authority. And remember that God loves you. He created you. He delivered you from sin. He dwells with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. He would never lead you the wrong way. When God gives you commands, it's not because he's a no-fun, bummer God. It's because he's a perfect and holy God who loves you and knows what's best for you and doesn't want you to fall into the harm that sin will bring. Last week we saw the, the prohibition against things that were real evident in the Egyptian culture. Incest. Sexual deviations uh, of, of adultery and abortion and homosexuality and bestiality. And remember we even talked about the fact that they were taking their children and they were offering, offering them up to the god Molech. And they would burn fire in the belly of the god Molech and then they would take their newborn babies and put them on this cast iron god and watch them sizzle. And we saw this, the, the, the degradation and the, how far away they were from God. These idol-worshiping people. And we saw that in adultery, then we saw it in abortion, and then homosexuality, and then finally bestiality, and then we saw the consequences of sin, that it would defile their land. And you know what? We see the same thing happening in our country today. Our land's being defiled by immorality. And so we pick up tonight, and we're going to be looking at even more of God's instructions to His people as they're getting ready to head into Canaan. And He's going to give them, a, what, in no better term, a laundry list. He's just going to go right down and say, guys, here are the things that you must avoid, because you're going to get to Canaan, and it's going to be going on all around you, and the easiest thing for us to do is just go with the flow. Any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen. You can just lay there and you go with the flow automatically. But the Lord has called us to be in the world but not of the world and to go against the flow and to be different than the world around us. And so tonight's chapter is going to emphasize holy living by God's children in the midst of a godless people. He's going to talk about holiness in our homes, in our worship, in our actions, in the way that we treat others. He's going to give just even more detail on the Ten Commandments. So let's begin in verse 1 because there's quite a bit in here tonight, and we're going to go through it. And we're going to just see God's laws and God's directions for the children that He loves in the midst of a godless people. Look at verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So to all the congregation, that means everybody. This word was not given just to the priest. It was not just given to the most holy people or those in high positions. To every single children, child of Israel, he said, these are my commands to you. And then he says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Again, if you, if you underline in your Bible, you should underline, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be ye holy. Be a separate people. People separate from the world and its wickedness. God created us in his image, that we might enjoy perfect fellowship with him. God is holy, and for us to walk in perfect fellowship with Him, we must walk in holiness. It must be the first, first that we must be atoned, our sin must be atoned for, but once it's atoned for, we must walk in obedience to the Lord. Now let me make this really clear, because sometimes people are, are confused by this. So I have to be obedient, or God won't love me. Is that true? No. I have to be obedient so that God's salvation will 
will work for me. If I'm not obedient, then I can't be saved. No. Here's the thing, guys. It's not obedience unto salvation. It's salvation that brings forth obedience. Do you understand the difference? It's not you doing a bunch of good work so that somehow you, some point you get good enough, then God loves you. Oh, you're being really good now. Okay, I love you. Can you imagine having parents that way? And sadly, there's some children that do. Can you imagine having a parent that only loved you when you were perfect? Your parent wouldn't love you very much or very often. And a lot of people put God that way. They make God that, oh, you've got to do all these things. As long as you do all these things in a perfect way, then God will love you. That's not what it's about. When you're saved, then you obey. Why? Because now you're filled with the Spirit of the living God. And when you sin, you're convicted by your sin. Before you were a Christian, you may have felt bad about some things you did, but you didn't truly know what conviction was. And now as new creations in Christ, we are to walk in holiness. Again, obedience doesn't produce salvation. Salvation produces obedience and a fruitful life. Again, not sinless perfection. So holiness, it's not man's attempts in his flesh to do good works, but it's as a new creation in Christ, walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you this, holiness brings forth happiness. When you walk in the center of God's will, you'll experience joy like no other. Why? Because you'll be doing exactly what God's called you to do. You'll be in perfect fellowship with the creator of the universe, which is what he created you for. And so holiness brings forth happiness. Sometimes people think holiness brings forth boredom. Oh, yeah, we're all holy. You can't do anything fun. Oh, you're the holy guys. You can't go out and party with us, right? And they think that holiness is just a drag. But holiness truly does bring forth the greatest happiness and the greatest joy you could ever understand. You know, when you're walking in holiness, you're not waking up with a hangover the next day. Amen? You're not puking in the gutter, right? You're not losing your job because you were so hammered you didn't go to work. I mean, you're not struggling with the consequences of sin. You're not losing your wife because of adultery. You're not losing your family. You're not having children that are embittered with you. And more important than all of that, you're not in broken fellowship with the creator of the universe. So holiness brings forth happiness. So when you hear these things tonight, I wanted to encourage you, again, not a bunch of just laws and rules that you've got to try to keep. Oh, I've got to try to do that now. No, it's like, Lord, if I, I'm going to walk in the fullness of your spirit, you never ask me to do anything that you won't equip me to do. He never would ask you to do something that was impossible. With temptation, he makes the way of escape every single time. Amen? And so as we go through this, I want you to be encouraged to walk in holiness. Not a burden. Not a bondage to a bunch of rules, but God's loving instruction to His precious, precious children to keep them near to Him and free from harm. Holiness is a result of a life transformed by the Spirit of the living God, knowing God, knowing His Word, and walking in the fullness of it. And just so you know, some people will say, well, that holiness stuff is just in the Old Testament. You know, it talks about being holy, but does it say that? Well, in 1 Peter it says this, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust." as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Look at verse 3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Holiness starts at home. Holiness starts in your relationship with your children and your relationship with your parents. Let me encourage you with something. I'm just going to speak as your pastor for a moment. It grieves me to see the way children talk to their parents. Even my own kids sometimes, okay? I was just correcting one of my kids. Joe was in the car. He knows it. I was just correcting one of my kids last night in the way that one of my children spoke to their mom. 
I said, you know what? You don't ever talk to your mom that way. That is unacceptable. And we are to revere. And the word revere there means to have reverence for. I have reverence for your parents. I have reverence for my parents even now. I have reverence for my dad and my mom in a big way. I praise God for them. And we are to have reverence for our parents. Now, that means for our children to have reverence, are they, do they naturally have reverence? Is that the way they were born? Just reverent kids. They wake up, oh yes, mom, dad, okay, whatever you say, okay, I'll go do it. Is that the way our children were, were created? No, they were born with an Adamic nature, which is a sin nature, which means they were rebellious at birth, right? Did you have to teach your kids, mine? No, you didn't have to teach them that. They did it all by themselves, right? And those of you who have, don't have children yet, you'll see, it's coming, all right? Your, your kids will come out and they're, they're going to be selfish, and it's going to be all about them, and that's the way they are. So how do we get them to reverence their parents? Discipline. The Bible says that a man who does not discipline his child hates him. The Bible says the rod of correction will drive discipline far, or disobedience far from your child. God gave them a nice padded area right in the middle here. I have a board of education at my house. That's what we call it. And, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with disciplining your kids. Always do it in love. Never do it in anger, but discipline them. Amen? That they might reverence. Because if they don't reverence you, how are they going to be with their teachers? How are they going to be with their neighbors? How are they going to be with their little league coach? How are they going to be with every person they come into contact with? Holiness must start at home. It must start in the way that they respond to their parents, and the way that they respond. And if they don't do it at home, they're not going to do it when they leave your house. A man who doesn't rule in his own house, how does he rule in the church? Dad's discipline is your responsibility. Amen? Now your wife should be enjoined with you in that, but you need to be the one that sets the standard. Don't say, oh, my kids are out of control, it's my wife's. No, it's not, it's your fault. Amen, dads? Amen? You're called. Be the spiritual leader, and that means take the initiative with discipline. My wife very rarely, if ever, spanks my children. I let, let it be on me. That's okay. I don't mind. It's okay. I will do it when I get home. And I, my kids need to understand. So they need to reverence their parents. And if they don't reverence their parents, we're going to have... Our church is going to be a disaster. And there's too many times I see it, even at church sometimes. The, a mom or dad will talk to a child, like, whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. Come here. Get the board, okay? My house, I make them get the board, all right? Go get it. Right, because you know what? They need to have reverence for their parents. And then look what it says next. So holiness begins at home. We must re have reverence for our mother and father. And then it says, keep my Sabbaths. So not only should our kids have reverence for us in the, in the house, in their attitude and with their actions, but also it says, keep my Sabbaths. That means bring your kids to church. Have them reverence mom and dad at home, but then bring them to a place of fellowship. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. You're telling your kids right now what the most important thing in the world is by what you pri how you prioritize your life. Is Little League or water skiing or the drama club or ballet lessons or anything else more important than church. You're telling your kids it is if you blow off church to go to ballet. You're telling your kids it is if you blow off church to go. Now again, I'm not talking about vacations with your family or things like that. You need to do that. God wants you to do that. He wants you to get away with your family. He wants you to do that. But I'm saying on a regular basis, if you miss church eight Sundays out of 12 because you got Little League, or eight Sundays out of 12 because you got ballet or drama, then you're telling your kids that that's more important than God. Oh, no, I'm, yes, you are. 
Yes, you are. That's what you're doing. So it's saying there, have your children reverence you. In the commandments, it says, honor your mother and father. And honor is in, is in action, and reverence is in attitude. They need to honor you with their actions, and they need to honor you with their attitude. Not just saying, okay, I'll go do it because you told me to. That's not reverence. Amen? Every parent has seen their kid do that. Right? Amen? You tell them to do something, and they go do it, but they don't do it with the right attitude. You know, all right, I'll go do it. You know, that, well, come here, get the board, okay? I mean, that's not reverence. And we need our children to reverence mom and dad. And then we as mom and dads need to teach them what is important by saying, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And that's more important than anything else on this planet. Our relationship with God comes before everything. My kids have been wanting to play Pop Warner football since they could crawl. And every year I call, and guess when all the games are? Sunday morning. Kids have never played. Now this year they're going to play because half the games aren't half, but we're going to miss all the Sunday games. I called the coach. Here's the deal. We will never be at a Sunday game. I don't care if it's the championship game. I don't care if my son ends up being the star on the team. We will not be there if the game's on Sunday. Is that okay with you? Yeah. And if you have practice Wednesday night at 7, we won't be there either. And I did it in a nice way. I said, we won't be there because church is more important. As soon as we put something else in front of it, we're saying God's second. And then you're going to wake up one day with a teenage son who says, well, I don't want to go to church, I want to sleep in today. I want to go to a baseball game instead. You know, because they've been taught as children that that's more important. May we never make that mistake. You know what, I'm, I'm radical enough that my kids have said, well, I have a lot of homework. I say, well, I don't care, church is more important than homework. Pastor Dave, that's radical, they need to do their homework. Uh, I'd rather have my kids flunk algebra and be in love with Jesus. Amen? Amen? To me, it's way more important that they be in fellowship. They didn't do their homework. They can do when they get home. I don't care. If they gave them too much, I'll write a note to the teacher. We have church on Wednesday night. And, you know, if you give them homework on Wednesday night, they're gonna, they have two hours to do it. If you give them four hours worth, they're going to have to do it Thursday night. I mean, we just have to make the standard and stand behind it as parents because holiness starts in our house. It's got to be where it begins. So they need to reverence it, and we need to keep the Sabbath and make God the most important things. In the most important thing. What do your kids think the priority is in your house? Some of you don't have kids yet, but what, what would be the priority in your house anyway? Somebody visiting you and hung out with you for a week. What's the priority at your house? Is it your hobby? Is it your job? Is it your relationship with God? What is it? We need to make holiness start at home. Verse 4. Do not turn to idols, nor make, your, make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord, your God. Now, you know what? If our kids are reverencing their parents and they're being brought to church and they're in a place of fellowship, they're not going to struggle as much in falling into worshiping the things of this world. But if, we don't, if they don't reverence their parents and they don't spend time in fellowship, they're all going to be idol worshipers. You see, the transition here is we're not to worship idols. We're not to worship false gods. And you might say, well, there's no idols. What idols are you talking about? Let me tell you what the idols are today. Dials today are your possessions, your career, your hobby, the pursuit of pleasure. Pursuing that which is of no eternal value over the one who died that you might have eternal life. Putting anything above Jesus is idol worship. Your career can be idol worship. Your pursuit of the big house can be idol worship. You know what? Even a relationship can be idol worship if it becomes more important than your relationship with the Lord. Now, if you love the Lord, you're going to love your wife, and you're going to love your husband, and you're going to love your kids, amen, in a supernatural way. But you don't put your children 
above the Lord. That's hard, huh? But you don't put your children... You seek first the Lord, and He will bless it. doesn't mean you don't love your kids, because you do. If you ultimately love your kids, you're going to really love... If you love the Lord, you're going to love your kids even more. Verse 5 through 8. Offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord. You shall offer it of your own free will. When you make a sacrifice, this is the only sacrifice where you shared it with God. Part of it went to the priest, and part of it was burned to the Lord, and part of it you ate. And it was called a fellowship offering. I called it having a barbecue with the Lord. Because that's what it was. You went down and had a little barbecue, and, the, and the, some was burnt before the Lord, some of it was given to the priest, and you ate some of it yourself. But notice that the free will offer, it was a free will offering, which means when you have fellowship with God, no one can ever force that on you. No one can ever make you fellowship. I've tried to do that. You know, I've tried to, you know, what are you doing, man? What do you mean? Well, I can't come the next 12 Sundays because I'm going to be water skiing. I'm like, dude, you need to follow the Lord first. God's got to be more important in your life. I mean, I was with you when you were doing this. And I've seen God do great things in your life. How can that be more important? Well, you know, and you can't force anybody to fellowship. Fellowship must come from your own heart. You must say, Lord, I love you, and there's no place I'd rather be than hanging out with your people and spending time in your word. You can't, now you can invite people and you can encourage them, but it must at some point become their desire. And so he's saying, you come of your own free will, and it says there, it shall, not be, it shall be eaten the same day you offer it, or on the next day. If any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. If it is eaten all on the third day, at all on the third day, it is an abomination, it shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. I find it interesting that the fellowship offering had to be devoured in two days. He said, consume it pursue it devour it he didn't say pick at it over the next month now first of all there's some health things that go with this because if you leave meat out for like three or four days not good right pat okay health food personal here okay you don't leave meat laying around for three or four days it's not good all right i know that i leave a sandwich out for an hour i go i probably shouldn't eat that now here's the thing I believe it's got a picture because it's the fellowship offering that the Lord desires that we pursue fellowship with Him with our whole heart. That it should be a passion of ours. Lord, I just want, man, I want to know You better. I want to spend more time with You. I want to seek You above all else. You're the most important thing in the world to me and You devour it. I can't wait to go to church. I can't wait to get in my Bible. I can't wait to worship the Lord. I can't wait to get in my car and put the worship CD on. I can't wait to seek the Lord. Not something you just pick at, but something you devour, you pursue with your whole heart. But look what it says, those who don't do it, who eat it on the third day. It says it brings iniquity on them, and, it, and they shall be cut off from his people. It's interesting that those who don't pursue fellowship, what ends up happening to them? They end up being cut off. Have you ever met somebody like that? They, they're coming to church, then they start coming once every other week, then they start coming once a month, and then once every two months. And then you see them one day, and a year and a half has gone by, and where are you fellowshipping? Well... My job got kind of busy, and then had some stuff going on, and then, you know, I just got out of the habit, and I, you know, I probably should go, but that's what happens, isn't it? If you stop pursuing fellowship, if you stop seeking after God before you know it, God's just not the priority anymore, and it drops down on the list, and now you're pursuing after something else. We're all pursuing something. What are we pursuing? Verse 9. When you reap a harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. 
And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of the vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. He's speaking to these landowners. And he's saying to them, when you get into Canaan, into the land of promise, and you plant a crop, don't take all of it for yourself. The first thing you do is leave the corners. Now, according to rabbinical law, it worked out to about 15% of their vineyard or their grain. They would leave the outside corners. They would leave the edges. And when they would harvest the grain, whatever fell to the ground, they would leave. They would leave the grapes that fell to the ground in the vineyard. And then the poor people then could go and be satisfied with it. It was their way of giving to the poor. I put in here it was God's welfare program. Because it really was. Poor given an opportunity to glean from the fields. But notice that the poor people had to work. It doesn't say that they went and you know, put a sack of grapes on their doorstep. Right? It says it was workfare, not welfare, right? It was like, okay... Right down the street, if you guys will get up and go right down the street, there's going to be fields where all the corners are left there. There's going to be gleaning for you. You can get your kids up and you can go down there and you can pick the grapes and your family will be taken care of. You can take the grain and your family will be ministered to. And what I wrote down here is don't take the last grape for yourself. Don't be so greedy in pursuit of stuff that you're not ministering to others. Now this was after the tithe. The first 10% went to the Lord, and then they were to leave, you know, this roughly 15% for the poor. And I still believe God's a pretty awesome God that He lets me keep 75% of His stuff. Amen? Who does it all belong to? God. And I'm going to be accountable for what I do with God's stuff. And, and today, you know, houses are getting bigger, and cars are getting bigger, and the general rule is the more money a person makes, the less money they give. Did you know that? The more money they make, the less percentage they give. It's amazing to me. And it's true. And people say, well, I work hard for my money. Okay. Who gave you the intellect and the ability to do what you do? Whether you're, you know, a rocket scientist or or an auto mechanic or, or a teacher or whatever you do, who gave you the ability to do that? That would be the Lord. Amen? And so everything that comes from it belongs to Him. Who gave you the opportunity? The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from where? From the Lord. So don't hold on to that last thing for yourself. Realize that it all belongs to the Lord. I'm being a steward for Him. I give first of my first fruits, not my last fruits, of my time and my finances to the Lord. And then I'm to minister to those less fortunate than me. Amen? And that's what it says here in the text. And the Lord's telling them, generous, verse 10, or 11, excuse me. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. It's interesting that Right after he tells them not to be greedy, he says not to steal. Don't steal. This is the eighth and ninth commandment. Don't be greedy. Don't take what isn't yours. And it says don't lie to one another. And I think that lying is at an epidemic proportion in this country. Amen? USA Today, like six years ago, did a survey, and like 93% of all people surveyed admitted that they lied on a regular basis. And the other 7% were lying, right? I mean, the reality is that people lie all the time. And the Lord said, don't lie. Don't be greedy and don't lie. Why do people lie? Usually because of pride. They want to come off better than they are, right? Or because they want to make a buck. They want to get one over on somebody they're trying to sell something to. Or, you know what I mean? Or they just, you know, it's all about me and it's all about making myself look good. And the Lord's saying, don't be greedy. And he's saying, 
don't steal and take what's not yours, and don't lie. Again, the eighth and the ninth commandment. I'm moving through these fairly quick. Verse 12. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Notice how he keeps saying, I am the Lord at the end. He wants to remind you who the authority is. It's not the Canaanites, it's him. The third commandment says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Not only are we to reverence our parents, but we are to reverence the name of the Lord. Do people in the world reverence the name of the Lord today? Why is it no one ever says, Oh Buddha? But they take Jesus' name in vain all the time. Do you ever notice that? It's because it's the wickedness in the heart of men. They'll tear down the name of God, and the word profane there also means not only to have, not to profane, to have reverence, to have reverence for it, but also not to make it common. Don't make the name of the Lord common. Don't make it less than it is. And that's what happens when people take his name and make it a part of a conversation that has nothing to do with him. They use it as a curse word. It grieves the heart of God. By the way, as Christians, does it make any sense that we would take God's money and go sit down and watch a movie where they're going to curse our Savior? What's the answer? Okay, thanks. All right. I was getting a little worried. All right. But here, I, I want to encourage you with something. Screenit.com. Go check it out. Before I go see any movie, I go to screenit.com and I check it out. Because if, it, if they take Jesus' name in vain one time, I'm not going to that movie. A little bit of arsenic in the dinner is too much. Amen? If we go, what are we telling our kids? Well, yeah, they took... Well, it was really a spectacular movie. They cursed God a couple times, but other than that... Well, Pastor Dave, there aren't going to be any movies left. Here, no, well, that's pretty true. Aren't a whole lot of movies I can go to. I get stoked. I, hey, I love movies. Let me just tell you, I love going to the movies. It's fun. I enjoy it. Got to have the biggest popcorn they ever had and the biggest Coke you can find with a lot of ice and let me sit near the back. I'm a happy man. Life is good. But the sad part is that I go to screen. Oh, I can't watch that either. Oh, can't. So my kids now, you know what they say? A new movie comes out. Dad, have you looked on screen it yet? Because they know if they're cursing God, we're not going to see that movie. And you know what? How can we take God's money and go watch him curse our Savior? Amen? Holiness. Walk in holiness. Holiness brings happiness. Amen? You're not missing out. Oh, you didn't see The Incredible Hulk. Ooh, okay. Oh, my life's over. I didn't see it because they cursed God in that movie. All right? We're going to, man, let's be holy. Let's walk into holiness. Verse 13. We're going to go over a little tonight, I promise you, because Mr. Daniels shared a little bit. Okay, verse 13. You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. Don't cheat your neighbors. Don't rob and defraud others. And if you owe somebody who has worked for you, pay them immediately. Well, you know, I'd like to pay them, but all my money's uh, tied up in a stock thing. I got going. Sell the stock. Well, I owe them some money, but right now, I, you know, sell your car. If you owe somebody something, pay them. Amen? Don't make excuses. Hey, that's what the world does. You owe somebody, pay them what you owe them. That's what the Bible says right here. Don't let it wait till tomorrow. Pay him. The Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love the Lord. We should not be running around in debt. And if you're going to hire somebody and you can't pay him, don't hire him. Amen? Don't hire him and then go, Oh, well, a week from Friday. Oh, in five months when my stock option comes in, I'd be happy to give you that money. They got kids at home to feed. You can't do that. You pay them immediately. That's what the text says. You owe somebody something, pay him. Holiness. You owe. You pay. That's holiness. Verse 14. You shall not curse the deaf, 
deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. He's saying, don't curse the deaf or stumble the blind. Don't curse those who can't hear you or stumble those who can't see. And who would be the, the spiritually and physically blind as well as the spiritually and or the spiritually deaf? He's saying, don't harm those who are deaf spiritually or blind spiritually by your actions. Don't stumble them because you're supposed to be the salt and light. You're supposed to be the one pointing them to the Lord. And if you're throwing bricks in their way by your actions, you're going to stumble them and keep them from the Lord. Don't stumble them. Because guess what? Even though they may not know what you're doing, God knows. That's what he says in the text. God sees, he hears, and he knows. You might get one over on someone who's deaf and blind, but you're never going to get one over on God. Amen? I've heard business people brag about getting one over on somebody. Oh, God, over on that guy. God knows. Amen? We should be getting over on anybody. We should be serving people. We, if, if anybody's going to be harmed in a business transaction, it should be us. Amen? Somebody's going to get the short end of the stick, let it be us. Who's Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider? Amen? Is He going to provide for you? So even if you let yourself get burned, it's okay. God's in control. That's all right. Fine. All right. Great. God bless them. That's okay. Because I'm going to honor you, Lord. And I'm not going to blow my testimony over something that's temporal. I'm going to trust you to provide for me. Verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Judge in righteousness. Show no favoritism. There is no partiality with the God. That's what the Bible says. Don't treat someone better because they're poor and show them favoritism and say, oh, they don't, they've got the short and the stick that I'm going to show them favoritism when I shouldn't. Don't show favoritism to the rich because you think that that's going to help you out in the end. Don't most people treat people with money better than people that don't have any? Isn't that true? Yes, they do. Why? Because they want to be a part of that crowd and they want to reap some of the benefit. And the poor person can't do as much for them. The Lord says, don't show favoritism. What should we favor? The truth. Amen? The truth is the truth. That's what we go with. What does the truth say? I'll be honest with you, and I'm just going to be as transparent with you guys on some stuff tonight. Sometimes as a pastor, I have people that have known me for a very long time. And they will come to me and assume because they've known me for a long time that things should be done the way they want it to be done. Well, they, I've known you 20 years. And I think you should do this. And if you don't, then I'm... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what God says every time. Every time. I may have known this person for an hour and this person for 25 years, and guess which one I'm going to side with? Whatever God tells me to do. Whatever the Word of God says. Amen? Above... And sometimes we make the mistake of, falling, of playing favoritism based on friendships or relationships. Again, I love all of my friends, and I want to do everything I can for them, but I'm never going to go contrary to this for the sake of a friendship. Amen? That's not a real friend, amen? As your pastor, I'm always going to do what God tells me. My, my desire is to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to make mistakes sometimes, okay? But that's my desire and that's my heart. Show no favoritism, verse 16. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you make, take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Don't gossip, even if you think it's ministry, right? Well, I've got to go to... No, I want you to pray for this, brother. Something I just heard, now you need, I just want to share this with you so you can be in prayer. And then you go on and tell the biggest story you ever told. And, really? Because when you tell a story, you're harming yourself, you're harming the person you're telling, because now they've got that rattling around their head, and then you harm the person you were talking about, right? 
Don't gossip. If you've got to struggle with somebody, go talk to them. Amen? Isn't that what Matthew 18 says? Go talk to them. Not to everybody else in the church but them. So they'll, everybody will think they're a rascal and they'll all, you know, kick them out of the church. Go to them. Amen? And do it in love. That's what the Lord wants us to do. Don't gossip. Don't go around talking behind people's backs. Verse 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Have no hatred and harbor no resentment. Don't hate anybody. If you have something against your brother, again, don't tell others. Go directly to him. And then take no vengeance. How many of you have ever wanted to take vengeance before? Raise your hand. Hands up, you're lying. Okay, because we've all wanted, haven't you wanted to? Oh man, that ain't right. That ain't, oh, that ain't right. Right, and typically, especially if you're a parent, somebody wrongs one of your kids, oh, vengeance is mine, I say Dave. Right? I mean, that, you, you, you get vengeful. And we have to learn to say, you know what, Lord? It's in your hands, not mine. Holiness does not take vengeance. Amen? Holiness doesn't gossip. Holiness doesn't take vengeance. And holiness does not harbor resentment. If you get better, it doesn't hurt the person you're, you're bitter against, right? It hurts you. Just go to them. Fix it. Holiness does not harbor resentment. Verse 19. We go through these quickly. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. I title this verse, Don't Be Unequally Yoked. Don't take two forms of cattle and mate them that don't belong together. You know what happens when you take two cattle that are of different sizes and different strength and yoke, yoke them together? What happens to them? They go in circles. The strong one's dragging the weak one around like this, right? And, and what does the field look like? It's a disaster. They're of no value. You've got two animals that are unequally yoked, and they're just going all around in circles, and the field's a disaster, and the farmer can't use them. It's a mess. And the Lord tells us, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If you are, as a saved person, a new creation in Christ, and you are yoked together with an unbeliever, Okay, now, if that's, our, if that's the case now, and you've been a, a Christian for a while, and, and your husband or your wife doesn't know the Lord, you stay with them, that's God's highest, and let's pray that they get saved. Amen? But, if you're not married yet, and he's fine. Man, she's a babe. You have no idea. I mean, you haven't seen her. Right? And what happens is, we, we just, we make these, well, I'll bring her to church. I will, really. Right? And, and he's got a nice car. I mean, we do all this stuff, and the Bible says, don't do it. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, it says here, don't mix seed. What is seed a representation of in the Bible? What is it? The Word of God. Don't mix seed. Don't take the Word of God and mix it with the sayings of Confucius. Amen? Don't mix it with you know, the sayings of Buddha or the Dalai Lama or Greek philosophers. Don't mix it with the Koran or the Book of Mormon. God's Word is the seed that nothing else should be mingled with. Sadly, I was reading about a church here in town where it said, you're as likely to hear about Buddha at our church on Sunday as you are from the New Testament. You're mixing seed, and you know what? God, that's an abomination inside the Lord, amen? Don't be unequally yoked together, and don't mix the seed together. This is it right here. How many more books do we need besides this one? None. We don't need the Pearl of Great Price, and we don't need the Book of Mormon, and we don't need the Watch 
power, and we don't need to, oh, Confucius says, I don't care what Confucius says, the guy's dead and burning in hell, why do I care what he says? Amen? Wow, Pastor Dave, that's kind of radical. Here's the reality, the Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, right? What about what Freud says, or Young, or anybody, who cares? What does the Bible say? Does God need Freud's help? Does God need Confucius's help, or anybody else? No, everything we need is right here, Amen? This is what we need to study. This is what we need to... So don't mix the seed together. And don't mix linen and wool. And real quickly, the priests wore only linen and were never to wear wool. Why? Because wool made them sweat. And when you serve God, it should never be a burden. It should always be a get-to. Amen? It's not a sweat or a drudgery. It's a get-to. It's a blessing. So when I'm serving the Lord, I'm wearing linen. It says don't mix linen with wool. Don't mix God's grace with the burden of mankind. Amen? It's not a burden that saves us. It's grace. By grace we've been saved. Verse 20-22. Whoever lies carnally with the woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine, and who has not at all been redeemed or given her freedom, for, th- for this there shall be scourging. But they shall not be put to death, because she is not free. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. When a man lies with a woman betrothed to another, when a man commits adultery, the result was what? Scourging. How many have been here on Sunday? What's scourging like? Strapped to a pole, hands and feet, 40 lashes, and most people, or a large percentage of them, died from scourging. It would, your, your organs would be exposed, and you'd be laying in a pool of blood, and you were scarred for life. Isn't that what adultery does? Doesn't it scar you for life? Doesn't it scar your relationship for life? Can God forgive it? Yes. Can it restore your marriage? Absolutely. Can God do great? Yes, He can. But aren't there consequences to that sin? And there's consequences both physically and spiritually. Because the man and the woman both went out and had to be scourged because of fornication and adultery. Put to a point of almost death. But then, even after that had been done, they still needed to go before the Lord and repent of their sin. There's physical consequences, but there needs to be spiritual renewal. Amen? Verse 23. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be uncircumcised to you, it shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And the fifth year you may eat of its fruit, that it may, may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. I wrote for these verses, and I, I believe this is God, what God's trying to say here. Before there is ordination, there must be observation. Before they were to pick the fruit off the tree, they were to watch it for three years. Then the fourth year, they gave all of it to the Lord. And then the fifth year, they started eating it. The Bible says, by your fruit, they shall know you. The Bible says, to lay hands on no man quickly. We are to watch somebody over time to make sure that the fruit is real and it's good. Amen? Before there is ordination, there must be observation. You must watch and see that the fruit in that person's life is real and it's lasting. Give it time. In that fifth year, you may eat of it. Verse 26, and we're almost done. 
You shall, eat, you shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. All these are going to be occult practices, next three verses. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Now, in those days, there was heavy occult where they would drink blood and when we make sacrifice, when they made sacrifice, they would let all the blood drain out because the blood was all a picture of Christ and it was all to be sacrificed to Him. They were not to take the meat till all the blood had drained out. If they took it, blood was not for nourishment. It was for atonement. Okay? But then it goes on and it says, not to practice divination or soothsaying. And this is where they would attempt to tell the future using snakes and other things. It was a form of witchcraft that involved demonic activity. Okay, And so he said, you're not to be involved in this stuff. But then he also said, don't shave around the sides of your head. And don't disfigure your beard. There was a pagan practice where they would shave the sides of their head. And it was, it was associated most likely with Egyptian idolatry. And it was a way to, to be associated with an idol. And he said, don't do that. Now next it says something that I know several people in this room are probably real interested in what this means. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Now, in those days when somebody would die, often they would take and gash themselves all over their body as a way of pleasing the, the, the God of death and in mourning. And he says, you don't ever do that. First of all, as Christians, death is not the end, it's the beginning. Amen? And we don't mourn as those without hope. Amen? And these people were mourning as those without hope to the point of gashing their bodies. But then it also says there, at the end of that verse, nor tattoo any marks on you, I am the Lord. Now, tattooing and body piercing were practiced big time in ancient Egypt, and it was connected big time with ancient superstitions and idol worship. They would tattoo the names of idols on their body, and they would pierce their bodies to show their allegiance to these false gods. Now, I'm going to share my heart with you and, and know that I love you guys. I personally, Pastor Dave, my opinion, just me, I would never get a tattoo. That's just me, okay? Now, if you feel called and you've prayed about it and you know that God has given you the heart to have you know, a cross tattooed on your arm, then I would never tell you that you're out of God's will, okay? I personally wouldn't do it, but if you choose to do it, make sure you've prayed about it and you've heard from the Lord. Amen? Because this could be linked to tattoos of the dead and honoring the dead. And isn't it amazing that a lot of tattoos today, what are they of? Skulls and, right? Tattooing stuff that honors death, right? And they got that all over their body. Now again, some of you here got a lot of tattoos from before you were a Christian. You may have gotten some since you were a Christian. I'm not condemning you for that, all right? I don't want you to think that. But I just want to say this. Our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And anytime you do anything to mark your body, make sure that you don't just do it real flippantly. Make sure you've prayed about it, you've sought the Lord. Hey, there's, there's this big guy, this big pastor from back in Maine, down at the pastor's conference. This guy loves the Lord, he's on fire for God, and he's got a cross that's this big on his arm. I'll, hey, God bless you. That's fine. Several people here have felt like, that's okay. Again, it's between you and the Lord, and I don't have scripture that I would say definitely condemns that, or I would you because i'm not up here to have a popularity contest all right i would tell you but it says here because it's kind of related for the dead 
You should never, I can tell you this, don't be tattooing skulls on your body. Amen? Don't be tattooing stuff that points to death. Uh, don't do that, because that is outside of God's will, absolutely. The rest of it, though, make sure you've heard from the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, I don't get it with all the piercing. This, okay, Pastor Dave's opinion, all right? I don't get the whole piercing program. I don't get it. I don't get it when people got their cheeks and their face and their, uh, you know, and chains and nipples and you know, walking around. All, I'm like, first of all, that hurts. And your body's a temple. Of the Why would you do that? And here's another thing. I know God does not want you getting tattoos where nobody else can see them but your husband because that means you have to bear yourself to some guy at some point. Amen? Oh, Pastor Dave getting in someone's kitchen. But here's the reality. Don't do it. Don't. Would you come over to my house and pull your pants down and stand there for an hour? I wouldn't let you come over again if you did, right? But here, here's the thing. Don't, don't go to a tattoo artist downtown who's got his whole face pierced and everything and, okay, I want it right here. Next hour, just be staring at my rear end and putting ink on there. Uh, all right. If my daughter did that, I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be happy. Okay? I'd not be happy at all. She's not reverencing her dad if she ever does that. I mean, having it. Okay, let's finish up. I know we went over, but we had some stuff going. Okay. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. Now, do not, now in those days, many people would give their daughters over to idol worship which would be prostitution in the temple okay and he's saying don't allow that to happen and he might say well that doesn't happen in the church today let me tell you real quickly again don't allow your daughters to lean toward looseness because if you do it's going to reap consequences later don't allow your girls to dress like the world amen i said it last week i'll say it again and I don't think this is Pastor Day's opinion. Nobody should be seeing your stomach but your husband. Amen? Women, if you had the mind of a guy for five minutes, you would be saying amen. Amen? Guys, here's the reality. Guy, you don't, what you use for bait will determine what you catch, women. If you're a single woman and you're using your body, then you're going to catch a guy that's after your body. Is that what you want for a husband? You want a guy that's all about the flesh? Are you one that loves Jesus with his whole heart, that esteems the Lord above all things and is going to serve you and minister to you? You want, you want a fleshly guy? Be a fleshly girl. You want a godly guy? Be a godly girl. Amen? You want someone who loves God more than you do? Don't allow your girls to practice harlotry. Don't let them dress... Well, everybody... I don't care if everybody on the planet is dressing like a floozy. My daughter's not going to. Amen? Well, but, but, but the pants... Are t- then you're not wearing those pants. What we'll to get you some made? Well, every one of them, then you're not wearing. I don't care, right? And it's man, but that's hey, be ye holy, for I am holy, amen. Walk in holiness. Don't be conformed to the world, man. Pastor Dave's way over time. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Reverence the Lord's day in His sanctuary by gathering together. They and their children would would be preserved from idol worship. Idol worship was going on at the same time. And if they were hanging out with God's people, they would not fall into that trap. Verse 31. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Mediums are those that are devices of the devil. Psychics, tarot cards, fortune tellers, astrology, Ouija boards, tools of Satan. Amen? 
1-900 psychic, pit of hell. Well, what if I'm at a carnival and it's just a fun little, don't do it. Amen? Don't go in there, because one or two things is true. They're either a phony trying to get your money, or they're a conduit for Satan. And I'm, I'm not wanting to have any conversations with Satan anytime soon. How about you? Amen? I want to be hanging out with the Lord, not, not Satan. Stay away from mediums. Don't read, don't, you know what? Don't read your, astro, uh, your astrological chart. Don't even read it. Don't read it. From Satan. It's from the enemy. We don't need it. Be holy, for I am holy. Verse 32. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Here he's talking about when somebody older than you walks into the room, they were to rise up and honor them. The Bible says honor those older than you, and the world says honor youth. The world says the younger you look and the more vibrant you are, that's what we honor. God says honor those who are older than you. Respect them. Honor them. Do we see that today? Do we see teenagers on skateboards honoring older people on the sidewalk? Uh, no. But that's what God tells us to do. Amen? Honor them. Honor them. A kid in Russia once said to me, I hear that in America you put your old people in warehouses. He meant old folks' homes. It was like the biggest, he couldn't believe it. You mean you take your grandparents and put them down in another house and leave them there? They only have 600 square feet, and they'll have four generations living in the same house. Why? Because they honor their parents. They take that honor all the way. It doesn't just stop, oh, well, now you're, you know, now you're 90, so I don't have to honor you anymore. You honor them until they die. Amen? And you reverence them. It doesn't stop when they get old. Verse 33, if a stranger dwells with you in the land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall, shall be to you as one born among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not mistreat foreigners and strangers. There is nowhere in the kingdom of God for bigotry. Amen? Nowhere. That should never come out of your Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Amen? Red and blue, yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Amen? I sang that when I was a little kid. God loves us all. Where our nationality is, our background is, somebody's struggling to speak our language because they're from a foreign country, love them and serve them and help them. Don't ridicule them. Amen? Minister to them. That's what, we're, that's what God wants us to do. Verse 35. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement, in length, in weight, or in volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and an honest ephah, and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What he's talking about there is having honest measurements. That's what they used to measure when they would sell things. They would weigh things, and people would cheat people by you know, filing down their weights so that they would put that on the side and, and then they would get the heavier weight and then they would rip people off and take from them. And he's saying have honest weight, pay honest wages if you're an employer. If you're an employee, do a full day's work. Don't work for two hours and clock in for eight. You know, do the right thing. Do what your job has called you to do. We should be the best workers on the planet. Last verse. Therefore you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them for I am the Lord. We're to walk in obedience to the word of God. The Lord loves you. He created you. He died in your place. He's preparing a place for you. You're his child. He knows what's best for you. And may we walk in holiness and trusting him. And may we do it in such a way that it teaches our children how to walk. And may we be an example to a lost and dying world. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. I thank you for the patience of the people here tonight as we went along this evening. But Father, I just pray that the word that we heard, Father, seep into our hearts, that we would be men and women who pursue you above all else. Lord, that we would walk in holiness, that as for me and my house, we would serve the Lord, that we'd be a Christ-like example to our children, that we would do our work in a way that would honor you, that we would be a godly employee and a godly employer. And Father, I just pray, Lord, help us, Father God, to, to esteem others greater than ourselves, Lord, to never cheat others or take from others. May we be generous with what you've given us. So Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you again for tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.